Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPeak platform with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. When I look at today's technological landscape, one of the things that concerns me most is a lack of female perspective in the top tier. I often ask myself, what will it take to have women who can build companies that have the same level of impact and reach as their male counterparts, like female-founded equivalents of Google, Amazon, and Microsoft? Most importantly, how would such a company be different? Of course, to really see a difference in perspective, we would also need to have female investors from diverse backgrounds. We also need diversity of culture, race, and ethnic backgrounds in technology. And that's what I discussed with our guest on today's podcast. Toju Duke is Google's product lead for EMEA. She works closely with female entrepreneurs too. Toju and I explore some of the harder questions of race and diversity in the workplace and how to help more women build a career in technical fields. So here's my conversation with Toju Duke. When you were uh, at the conference, you talked about how uh, there is a stereotype with regards to you know this understanding of women are not as good as in stem or they're not as good in math so um i wanted to talk to you more about that because since then i started listening to a new podcast i discovered which i really like it's called the portal uh, and it's by a mathematician called eric weinstein who works with peter Thiel. he mentioned this a few times uh, on, on various occasions and it, it kind of um, seems to me that basically he's uh, saying that women are not as good at, as men in math and physics um, and you know STEM subjects, I guess. I wanted to, uh, to talk to you about that. What's your views on that? And working at Google, what do you see in terms of, uh, you know, what, what's the evidence uh, when women do get the opportunity to be in these STEM subjects, um, how well they perform? And what do you think of this? Is it a myth? Is it? Um, is there any kind of truth to it? Is it possible that we are not teaching uh, math and science to uh, girls uh, and women in the right way? Because I just wonder sometimes, because our whole educational system has been built on a male model. So could it be that the way that we are teaching these subjects are not as conducive to teaching it to women? I don't think there's anything wrong with the brains of women and how we we um, handle cognitive abilities or our cognitive abilities when it comes to math and STEM subjects. I feel pointing out that women are not as good as men in STEM is outright discrimination. I'm sorry to put it that way. It's not a nice thing to say, but forget about the niceness. Time has proven that women are as good um, on any subject matter as men. So there's no gender that is more superior than the other gender on a particular subject. Um, there's been lots of, you know, arguments and research done and saying how, you know, the woman's, a part of the woman's brain is not really meant for logical explanations as opposed to a man. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But if we look down at history and computer programming and how the computer programming start, it actually started from a woman. Um, Ada Lovelace in the 1800s was, you know, considered as the first computer programmer. Um, she wasn't half woman, half man. She was a woman. There was a big rise in computer programming in the early 1950s down to the 80s. 
and about 37% of computer programmers at that time were all women. So that already proves that women are good at computer programming, at STEM subjects as, as much as men. Now, what's, what's changed over time, what we noticed is that men were more attributed to computers. So with the invent of the onslaught of computers coming into our homes in the early 80s, when we looked at data and research, over time, we saw that the drop, there was a 50% drop of women um, in STEM subjects and in STEM courses over 10 to 20 years. And looking deeply into that, I think the moment the computers came into the home, that's when the stereotype started. The boys started getting more used to computers. They started playing more with computers. The girls and their moms, or maybe their moms were not as interested in computers. So the girls just followed, you know, their moms and kind of like mimicked what the imitator, what their moms would do. And most times moms are not really probably more in the kitchen, doing other jobs, but not really into computers. We also had computer games as well which still exists today. And you tend to see more boys and men playing with computer games than women. And even when the dads or the parents bought the computers, after a lot of interviews, right, research has shown that boys were more exposed to computers than girls. So I think that was the first change or the first factor that led to a change and seeing a drop in women and in STEM subjects and in computer programming. And then if we fast forward to modern times and you know to the times that we're in now, women are still very good. History shows it and research shows it that girls are two times better than boys in STEM subjects when they're in high school. But we see about half of these rates of, of girls dropping off from their STEM courses or the computer science courses in university and they drop out from these courses before they finish for the final year. What could be leading to this? Again, I believe it's a lot of stereotypes. There's a lot of stereotypes around men being the same thing that you said, right? The same thing that the professor you mentioned said. And that's the sort of things that they're probably hearing in schools as well, in the universities. And then it's already showing there's a highly misogynist culture. Um, we have more boys than girls. It's very hard for girls to thrive in that sort of environment. And it would be the same vice versa, you know, if you're the only boy amongst 50 girls. It's not that easy to try with people who do not look like you or talk like you. And that's where bias comes into play as well, like in-group favoritism. And it's led from, you know, the universities into the workplace. We tend to have more male um, HR staff hiring for tech. And they'll most likely hire people who still look like them, talk like them. And that will be mostly men. Then even when the women still make it into tech, there's the big problem with the culture, the sexist culture, the gender pay gap, um, where, you know, a lot of women believe that they're paid at least 76% or even more less than a man. So it's hard to maintain a culture or a tech, a tech, diverse tech culture with all these factors in play. Yeah, I understand. So let's talk about race because that's something, and, and actually, while I have you here, I want to ask you a question. So a lot of people have been contacting me about the think tank saying that race and uh, a family should be two separate categories in themselves. Uh, for me, I had put family under um, cultural. I think race is also mostly a cultural thing. And, you know, the way that we view, you know, not, not me, but you know, the, the way that the society looks at you know, different, different races. I just, I just, it's kind of sad that at in 20, 21st century, we are still even using the term race. It, it is really sad. Like I 
personally feel like it shouldn't be one of the categories. But they are telling me that it's a very real thing. And when you look at the STEM subjects, there is one issue of women. And then there's another thing if you're a person of color, and especially if you are a woman of color. And then I try to explain to them that, look, um, I'm an immigrant. You know, you can hear my accent. You know, I'm not a white European person so I, I still feel that it's uh, that it's better not to even engage in that um, topic of race because I just worry that we are still you know we're dragging it into this century we need to just get rid of that kind of language in a way in my opinion the way you do that is by taking the lead and just bulldozing your way and not paying attention to these things you know like if i wanted to pay attention to these kinds of things uh, these ideas of oh this is going to hold me back or that is going to hold me back i wouldn't even be able to make it to the point that i have right so so the way i see it i'm like i just completely ignore these things the criticism that i've got uh, in response to that has been that you don't understand because being a black person is completely different to just being a person of color that you know that i've been told that if you close your mouth and don't speak you could pass as a white person so you so that's that already is going to you know make it easier so i wanted to hear your views on that and especially in a in a big corporation like google where you work you know how are these conversations being handled and what's the general feeling towards these things essentially we talked about the women thing then where does the race come um, so is that is that still something that we should be you know engaging in yeah it's it's a real problem and i've thought about it long and hard i don't think it's ever going to go away like you know even if you go into the 4th century whatever it's a big problem where people look at people acknowledge people by what they see and many times they see color now, the only way it can go away is if we change our, our way of thinking down to the next generations. And, yeah. you know, we change the way we refer to people who are different from us. We, we insist on more acceptance in society and more empathy and more love. But that's not going to happen because the world is not the best of places, right? Everyone is not great. Everyone doesn't think that way. Unless we have one president world president right that comes up with some laws which is never gonna happen we'll still have people who think that way that said though i know a lot of the older generation you know became they have ancestors and you know ancestry from the slave trade or you know all of those historical stuff so it's it's passed down from generations to generations but people that will term as racist today many times we're taught every behavior we have especially from an young age is because we were taught we're either taught by our parents we're taught in school we're taught by the environment and the society but race is a real problem surviving or even thriving in a workplace as a person of color or from underrepresented groups is a real problem not everyone is open-minded not everyone accepts other people as they are. and it, go, it goes down to a lot of histories even beyond the slavery and um, there's something called physiognomy where they have attributed um different characteristics to different people just based on how they look. And that's gone into tech as well. So there were some research papers written and some people and some algorithms created where they actually just identified some Chinese men um, as criminals just because they were not smiling and because their nose was a bit wider than somebody else's nose. And, you know, these are the things that have existed in society. It's really hard to get them out. But I agree to your point of not 
bearing those sort of points upon you and just thriving through. That said, it's really important to educate yourself about the challenges that face people of color, even if you're a woman of color or not, right? If you want to be an ally or just want to understand a little bit more about the subject matter, it's good to educate yourself about what challenges women of color face in society, what challenges do they face in the workplace, and what challenges do they face in tech? And how can we go about overcoming these challenges? Mm-hmm. What's interesting, so then um, when I, uh, these criticisms, when they came through and I engaged with them, trying to understand, then I spoke to, actually my beauty therapist is a, is a really lovely black woman, you know. So I spoke to her, her name is Bianca. And I was like, this, basically I forwarded the conversation to her and said, what do you think? And she said, so like she said, you don't understand because you're not racist. It's like, you know, you don't think that way. You know, you see through people. You just see through the humanity of people, you know. But she was like, that's not how the world operates. And she, she told me that actually, you know, even within the Black community, different shades of Black get different treatments. And I was shocked, you know. I was like, are you serious? And she was like, I'm telling you. She was like, my sister is a bit darker than me. And, and, I, and I'm openly discussing this here because I want people to hear it, that I am addressing it and I'm trying to understand. I cannot believe that in this day and age that, you know, even she was like even different shades of, she was like, this is the reason why actually as a beauty therapist, you know, a lot of people come to her trying to whiten, you know, like or brighten the shades of their, their skin a little bit more using you know things like glutathione and, and vitamin c and things like that because they seem they feel that they get better treatment in the workplace or in you know in general they can get ahead more i just think like black is so beautiful it's like you know dark is so beautiful and why would you want to do that you know like it almost makes me want to cry it's so sad to think that this is still happening but one of the things that kind of bothers me and upsets me and this is my criticism to my black women black you know friends who are sending me these criticisms is that one of the issues is that a lot of times they send me these messages and then i say look do you want to be on the panel and talk about it like i asked you right can you introduce me to other panelists who can come in and talk what happens a lot of times they say no like basically they just dismiss the conversation i'm like i just want to have an open conversation about it because my worry is that I, what i want to avoid and i'm saying very openly my what i want to avoid is this kind of victim mentality i don't want to say like we are we are a victim you know i'm an immigrant so i'm a victim so i don't i am not a victim i'm gonna bulldoze my way you know and i hope that they also adopt a similar kind of attitude. So I, I'm like, do you want to come in and talk about it? Or, you know, in a way, you know, it's almost like my hope is that I want to have black women on the panel who are not talking about race necessarily, or who are talking about findings in astronomy, you know? My point is that's how we are going to change. We need to stop this thing of just because you're a woman of color, that you are going to only talk about that, that that's the only, like, that because you're a woman of color, you're going to be the head of diversity. Yeah. No, I don't want that. The world that I want to live in, and I'm, and I'm hoping to kind of convey this, and, and I want to tune in to say Lex Friedman's podcast that I really like, and hear a black woman talking about quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. right? 
not about diversity. And I think that's how we change this conversation. And I'd like to hear your view on that because I just feel like I don't, we are getting pigeonholed, you know, just because you have a, a non-white background that you're, you're, and then you're feeding into it. I think there are two different sides to this coin. At some stage before Judge Floyd died last year, the, all the race talks and all the police brutality in the U.S. especially was kind of like always swept under the carpet. Judge Floyd's, Floyd's death last year and the other people who died last year, they were not the first people of color to be shot by police or to be killed by police in front of cameras on social media. But that was when there was like a reawakening. I think probably because of COVID and people are more at home and they have more time to actually just watch the news and catch up with the news. And it was non-COVID news. Like there was a lot of empathy and support and interest now in this color and this race conversation and what's going on. If we brush it away and act like it's not there, it's not going to solve the problem because, you know, by hiding your head in the sand, it doesn't, doesn't send the problem away. It will still be there. Um, at the same time, you don't want to make the problem so big and that's the only thing you talk about um, without coming up with a solution because that's way too much. So I think it's striking a balance between the two. I think the reason why you have a lot of black women talking about race is because, you know, many times they're invited by the Caucasians who, no one else, there's no one else better who will talk about the experiences they're going through apart from the person that's going through it, right? Um, yeah. I can't, I can't call you to say, hey, so do you want to tell me your experience as a person of color? Um, because there's not really much you can say. You can give me your experience as a person who came from a different country to settle in a different country as a migrant, right? Because that's your experience, but you're not a person of color. So there's nothing you will really have to say about that, right? So I think that's where you see more um, people of color coming to represent the race to talk about it. But I totally agree that we shouldn't just spend all the time talking about it. That's not the only problem in, in the world. Let's talk about it. Let's move on. Let's evaluate, you know, what changes have come through. Where do we need to go? What else do we need to do? There's been lots of talks and um, actions around diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Let's keep on driving that, right? Let it not just be a momentary thing because George Floyd died and there was a lot of Black Lives, Ma Lives Matter protests last year. That was the wave. And a lot of people do that as well. A lot of companies do that. And it ir irritates me. Many people are not genuine sometimes. We have the genuine folks who actually believe that this is a problem and we need to solve it. And there are other people that just see it as a trending hashtag kind of thing. And hey, this is what everyone is doing. I'm going to look bad if I'm not doing it. Let's ride with it. And those are the ingenuine um, participants. And when the time goes past, question is what's happening in the background? How much work is actually being done in the background to resolve this problem? Because this problem is still there. And it will still be there for a very, very long time. If after two centuries now, we're still talking about race in this day and age, I, I'm not hopeful that we're not going to talk about it in the next two centuries. I would love that to happen, but realistically, I don't see it happening. Especially now that we're seeing that lots of this discrimination and racism is going into technology, right? And technology is what is a part of our everyday lives right now. There's no way we can stop talking about it because it's just finding its way into other areas of society slowly. And it could just be that un unseen evil that is just lurking behind in the edges that we can't see. And until we talk about these things and try and educate everyone and come up with solutions, I don't see the problem being resolved. You know, I have a lot of hope in Gen Z 
um, you've got Gen Z kids, right? What's the feeling you get from them, you know, from, from their experience in, in school? You know, I just, I feel like Gen Zers seem to be morally a lot more in tune with, you know, equality. The question of race is even going to matter to them. Um, you know, by the time they grow up. I do worry about what you said about the algorithms because those biases is being built into the algorithms. And I feel like we have a very small window of opportunity to overcome this because it's taking over and very soon it will be too late um, yeah. to do that. Um, so, so two questions there. One is, so say an organization like Google, what are you guys doing to engage with younger generation, with, you know, with, with Gen Zers to make sure that more girls and more people of color go into STEM fields and, and succeed? Um, and then the second thing is, what's your sense of the time scale that we have, the time frame that we have to address this um, in terms of I'm almost trying to say like in five years time, it will be way too late because, because it will be too late to change it because the algorithms are going to be so ingrained in every aspect of our lives. So, so this is like a question of the question that needs to be addressed now. With regards to the very first question um, on what Google and other big tech companies um, are doing with regards to diversity and encouraging more female students into tech, um, Google, on one hand, has been doing a lot of things for the past few years. Um, a lot of programs, we have one called the Bold um, Immersion Program, and I think that's global. Um, it's really targeted at people um, from underrepresented groups, um, and it's targeted at students from underrepresented groups. Um, I've been part of something we called um, an outreach program, and that was part of the Black Googlers Network, where we actually go every year, we used to go where we could travel, right? when when airplanes used to work but yeah we actually used to go to different parts in the world um, and we'll do so many different activities targeted at small businesses and it's targeted at students in schools i remember once we thought primary school students and i think early stage um high school students how to use how to just talk to them about computer science there's a there's a software called scratch and it's a very easy way to introduce kids to computer science and they loved it so google has been doing a lot of initiatives and you know just bearing in mind that i'm even if i work at google i'm not representing google in this conversation but i mean i'm, I'm still proud of the work that google has done towards these things and it's there's a lot of work being done um just to reduce this gender gap um and diversity and and the race issue as well that you've mentioned and i know a lot of other big tech companies are doing something similar um, so there are programs always being done. We have, um, there's also a group called University Outreach Group. So there's so many targeted programs towards these um, specific generation and that audience to get more people and more diversity into tech. It's going to take a while for us to see the results of that. It's going to be slow, but at least the work is being done. And the, the question was like, how, but you, like you said, you know, it's slow, right? How much time do we have? It seems like we don't have much time because the, the, the way that these algorithms are taking over our decision-making, essentially. I think the problem with the algorithms is not just related to diverse teams. That's part of it, but that's not the only problem. The problem as well is the lack of inclusivity and um, 
variety in the data that is being fetched to build these algorithms. There's so many intricacies of this problem. So for example, when it comes to health data and you know, solutions towards health, we have less people of color being represented in those solutions because there's less people of color in the data. And part of it is because people of color sometimes do not want to opt in freely for all these data studies, right? Because of the past histories of slavery and in, in the past, you know, people of color were the first people to be tested with new drugs and, and it kind of like destroyed the race. So there's so many intricate parts to it. It's not just a one size fits all problem, but that said to the original question of how soon do we think we can solve this problem? I'm hoping within the next five to 10 years, there'll be a good responsible AI or ethical AI framework in place from governments and from institutions, because that's the only thing that will solve it, is if we actually have some rules and regulations to say that anyone who's, who's going to design any new technologies that is going to be adopted by X number of people, it has to cover different parts of aspects of life, excuse me, <clears throat> including privacy and fairness, you know, shouldn't be biased towards certain people um, of under, underrepresented groups or biased to, towards anybody in particular. Um, it has to be safe, you know, it has to be robust um, and durable. It has to be transparent that anyone could understand exactly what that model was designed to do. Now, these are all currently in the works. Um, big tech is really working really hard, frantically hard, um, to come up with these frameworks, but it takes time because a lot of research needs to be done to, to understand why, you know, the algorithms are behaving the way they're behaving, first of all, and what possible solutions we could come up with to negate those. And if one company comes up with that, doesn't mean that everyone else has come up with that same solution. So it has to be a solution that is accepted by everyone in, within that industry or associations, you know, by the government before it goes into play. But the good news is that big tech and all the tech companies now are aware that this is a problem and most of them are working towards it. How quickly it's going to happen, I don't know, but to your point, technology is going really quickly and we need to come up with a solution as quickly as possible. Well, it's been a great conversation, uh, as always, told you, and uh, I really hope that we get a chance to talk again. I'm sure we will, you know, as, as this uh, movement grows. Maybe as a last word, can you tell me about the, the importance of role models, you know, female role models and, and role models from different uh, backgrounds uh, and how can we highlight them? Because, you know, like you mentioned, when we look at the history of computer science, it's not that there weren't, there are. You know, a lot of times we say there aren't enough female role models, but I think there are, but, but they're not highlighted. And mm -hmm. is there something that each person can do to educate the people around them, you know, to, and to just discuss, to talk more about women yeah. who are doing these things. As a last word, you know, can you leave us with some words of wisdom? How can we highlight these role models? Yeah, I think it's a value chain thing. There's so many different aspects to it. You know, one is media. How does media portray female CEOs or female, you know, multimillionaires or successful women in tech or in corporate or business women? Um, but because we have more a lot of male figures in most industries, you know, again, we don't really hear much about women. So I think it's encouraging, you know, the next generation or even ourselves right now to work in a sector and a field that you are interested in and have a passion for. And if you do that, um, that's one aspect, but if you do, do that and you're a woman, you'll most likely go through the challenges that women face and you understand what it means 
to overcome those challenges and you'll be able to teach the next person. That's an example. Or even if we have more female figures in media, then ideally I want to assume that the female figures will be advocates for other women, other successful women and portray them a bit more. So we need to see more more articles about successful women. They're slowly coming up. Like we have a few social media sites now that is just women focused. We need more of those. Um, and apart from that, you know, it's just like one-to-one educating people around you that, you know, especially like the first conversation we had or the first question around women not being as good in math as, as men, there is a myth out there and there's so much, there's so much science that backs that saying up, but it's not true. So it's like educating one another in conversations. I do it to my high school friends and one of my good friends that I speak with. And I educate all of them very much about the value of a woman in a workplace. And now they know that anytime we're talking about gender, like they just call my name out. They know that they are really careful about what they portray and all that because, you know, I've educated the men on the team that, look, it's not a man's world. Women are equally important and we equally contribute to the society and you guys need to value us. And it's those sort of conversations, you know, they're all very slow and subtle, but they change the messaging and they change the narrative slowly. Absolutely. Thank you, Toju. It's been amazing talking to you, as always. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Somi. I hope you found this interview as insightful as I did. If you enjoy these conversations, please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel, rate and review the podcast, and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram.